the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Yoo-hoo! <laughs> Welcome aboard, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. Our friend Jacob is on the road. He's on his way back from a well-deserved little time with the family and a little bit of a break over in the Arizona. Isn't that right? Into the arid zone. So we uh, say hi to him from afar and hope he has a great evening. He might be joining us. I suspect he's joining us in some way, shape, or form uh, in the vehicle or online or something. But uh, we are all alone tonight. So that means it's all the more important that we get a call from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your uh, opinions and questions and uh, your thoughts about all things biblical. This is the Bible Live. We read through the entire Bible every year. Genesis to the maps, as they say, all the way back to the book of the Revelation. We are coming up on the end. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> we're approaching the end of uh, both the Old and the New Testament. So we're down to the little small books at the end of the Old Testament, The what are called the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. We're kind of into those. And then just for the last week, uh, two weeks from now, we'll be entering in our last week of broadcast for this year, and we'll be reading and going through just in time for Halloween. I've always thought that was good timing. <clears throat> we'll be reading through the book of the Revelation, just as we're talking about goblins and witches and all that stuff on Halloween that kind of has been the cultural uh, experience. We'll be talking about the real spiritual realm, the real spiritual world, angels and, and um, the, the, the biblical plan of redemption as, as that's being played out in our world. And uh, Revelation will give us a, an overview of, uh, of human history. It's, a, it's actually a series of uh, lessons. Uh, it's a little more complicated than this. The first chapters are very different. Uh, but then as it gets into the big picture of the world and the world system that we live in, he talks about these, these um, constant repetition, these cycles of repentance and then 
uh, time of falling back into sin, and then time of God's judgment, uh, and then a time of repentance and restoration, then falling back into sin, and then uh, judgment. These cycles of judgment that take place in human history uh, and ever ever tightening as we approach the end of the age. And that is that from the time Jesus the Messiah back in the New Testament, from the time Jesus died, was resurrected and ascended to the Father, till now we are living in what is called the last times, the last days, uh, these 2,000 years. Uh, how many 2,000 years times 365? That's, that's, that's a pretty good number of last days, right? Uh, but that's what we're living in, this last era, this time. And uh, so we'll we'll get through all of those books here in the next couple of weeks. Tonight, uh, this past week, we read the books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, the little book of Jonah. That'll be fun to talk about tonight. Uh, it's one of the most remarkable books of the prophets in the Old Testament because uh, it isn't about his – it's so much about his messages, his sermon, actually – in the book of Jonah, Jonah only preaches one sermon. And, and I think the sermon has seven words in it. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Is that eight words? That's eight words. So in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That was his sermon, just seven or eight words, and that was it. But the rest of the story of the book of, of uh, Jonah is about the – it's the story of the prophet himself, what his ordeal, what he went through. Now, we do get some of those details from the lives of these prophets. Uh, we learned a lot about Daniel. Remember, the opening chapters of the book of Daniel are about his life, what happened to him, and how he was um, taken into uh, – uh, Neb, um, what am I trying to say? Nebuchadnezzar took him into Babylon. And so uh, we have that there. But the same thing happened there with the book of Jonah. So tonight we're going to talk about these minor prophets at the end of the Hebrew Scriptures, the end of the Tanakh. And uh, if you'd like to give us a call and be a part of the program, you can dial 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. Nine five eight five, and I'd be glad to hear from you and take your thoughts, maybe about the passages we've read and looked at this past week. These minor prophets, uh, maybe about something else that's on your mind. That would be fine. All things biblical, spiritual. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah tonight. Let's go. I get it. I'm gotten a call already. Let me bump into it and go talk with Jerry. He's calling in at the very front end of the program. Uh, Jerry, how are you doing tonight, and what's on your mind? Oh, just a few little interesting things. I, I wondered if you had gotten that e, uh, text that I had sent you on uh, uh, Messenger about the secret underground church. Uh, I, I sent it to uh, the, the Messenger, but I don't know if you got it. Yeah. Uh, had, you did get that? I, I believe I did. I believe I did. I read it. Uh, when did you send it? Earlier this week? I'm trying to uh, get back. I get tons of these. Yeah, exactly beginning of the week i think okay that's uh, what i was the, thinking yeah yeah you, you, what was what what caused you to send that what was on your mind about that it was just you were talking originally about james and let me get the phone back on here sure. uh and you were talking about 
James, and then that brought to mind and we started that conversation. Then after a little bit, you, you had you started toward the end of the program. But uh, it was interesting because it was a secret underground church building uh, that half brother Jesus discovered. It's, it's in Jerusalem on Mount yeah, Zion. You, but it, you called about this last week. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, the, I, I, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I think that was you, right? You called about. It was, the it was I, of this underground church, thinking that it might have been actually the early, the center of the early congregations there in Jerusalem, where James was the, the head of the the Jerusalem church. I think you had called about that at that yes. point. You have some it, more it, info, it, info about that. It had a number of mikvahs in there, which are the baptismal areas. Uh-huh. It had so it an underground tunnel with an opening that came back up up for people to escape like from the romans and such things uh-huh, like that uh-huh. and uh, it was like say that also the greek orthodox church had uh, is was kind of in uh possession of that and uh, but it was extremely abused and misused by by jewish people who seems to be a very uh, a focus of hostility now why do and you find, were, why do you find that so fascinating i'm curious well, um, because so many of the of the Christian relics are uh, relics are considered relics, or the buildings are so revered and allowed for people to go there. But the one that is probably the most significant is the one that is uh, most <laughs> demeaned of all. Huh. And yet, there's all evidence that that thing is is the real thing. And uh, sometimes it's the same thing. You know, the real thing sometimes is is the thing that could be the most persecuted or most disregarded. And the history of what was happening, the, the you know, the, when the persecution started taking place, they had uh, to to actually escape a lot of times. And they set an escape route, carved through the, the rock uh, for a distance, and then kind of went uphill into into escape tunnel area. Interesting, uh, interesting. Hey, Jerry, tell me know, where could people find out more? Uh, about you probably included that I'm guessing in your text, but wh- if they wanted to discover more about this, um, now th- I, I, it seems to me like Jacob mentioned that or asked you the question: Was this found? Let's say maybe three or four levels down in in the strata of of Jerusalem by the archaeologist, or where no. is, is this just a recent development or discovery? Or it's been around for many many years. I see, but. Uh, Known for many many years, but it was uh, in a parking lot area, and they have a, a little cover over the top with with wire across it. People break in and throw things in there, all kind of stuff like that. It's terrible the what the way it's been treated, hmm. and um, so uh, anyway, if there's a. I guess the way you can look it up, and I'll give you the, the URLs on both parts of it. There's one that's the, the, the article, and then the video is included in that. But I also uh, brought out the video and put it on the same page, okay. so you can. Be, their way, but uh, you can look at it at the secret underground church started by James, the half brother of Jesus. Uh-huh. Discover this phone keeps on turning off. To uh, I'm sorry, the secret underground church started by James, the half brother of Jesus, discovered in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, uh-huh. and that is it's https well gospel uh, gospelnewsnetwork.org uh, 2019 uh, see, but anyway, secret underground church started by James. That's the same thing. We can go Andrew. to the Google. We can go to the Google and look up the secret underground church started by James, discovered in Jerusalem. I bet that would bring it up. Uh, some articles about it. That'd be interesting. Now, 
on Mount Zion. Now, there's another video that they've embedded in this. has a different name, though. You can say, watch embedded video sources as First Christian Church in Jerusalem will shock you. I see. And uh, that, that's a shorter title, which is uh, it's a YouTube, uh, SP, capital P, E, capital R, P, capital A, E, G, capital F, and capital zero. Uh, All oh. right. So, All right. But don't... Those are significant, real significant, and okay. Uh, okay. Well, these, uh, the thank you, Jerry, very much for calling in about that. These, uh, these are remarkable times we're living in, where you can go to the internet and there's so much. Inf- it's just amazing, isn't it, John? I mean, you could just any old thing that comes to your mind, you you just Google it. You know, I, I remember my, uh, the last five or six, eight or ten years, I suppose, uh, my children, of course, grew up with that. So the natural thing for them. Now, for me and my generation, I think the most natural thing is to go to a book or to a, an encyclopedia or to the library or something. But th- this, th- I'm kind of getting used to it now. I'm getting used to the fact that the moment I've found out something I want to know more about and I'm curious about, I go to the Google, you know, I go <laughs> the Google, we call it in our uh, I, I Google it. I go look it up. Let's say the secret underground church started by James, uh, the brother, half brother of Jesus on Mount Zion. I mean, you could you could use any of those phrases or thoughts. And I bet we would find the information and the video that Jerry has called in about. He's been pretty intent on this. He wanted to hear us to hear about it last week when we were reading the book of James. And so he's calling to remind us of it this week. I appreciate that. Not, don't, no problem at all. But you can do the same thing. The phone number is 210-340-9585. And we're talking about all things biblical, specifically this past week in our Bible reading program, Monday through Friday, 930 on this channel. Uh, you get to hear a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. We started a year ago in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we started there and uh, we've come all the way through Old and New Testaments. And now we are coming to the end of both of the Testaments Uh This past week, again, I repeat, we read the books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. And so we'll we'll touch on those this evening. I'll kind of walk through and give some thoughts about it. But you can give a call as well if you have a question or you have an observation about any of these books or any of these passages. Or maybe something else is on your mind as well, as in the case of Jerry there. You can give us a call. I'd love to hear from you. Ask questions. Yeah, I did that this morning. I was teaching. A, uh, I had about 200, 250 young men and women, uh, trainees uh, at the Air Force, the uh, basic trainees at, at Lackland. And we talked about, uh, I was teaching just one. We have uh we have a nine or ten, sometimes up to twelve or thirteen. Depending, sometimes we have overflow. They explode. Over two thousand young men and women come every Sunday morning, and uh, our teachers are just so phenomenal. We have uh, usually field a team of fifteen to sixteen, seventeen, eighteen teachers and guides to help host, greet, uh, and so on. Our, our last class has uh, uh, hundreds of, of parents and family members who have come to our graduating trainees, a graduating. Um, Air Force trainees. They've finished their training now for the first time. They are airmen. They're not trainees. They're wearing their dress blues, and they've been sworn in, and they're uh, they're airmen now, and their family members have come from all over the country 
to see them, and we have usually 300 to 400 of them coming. So we get a chance to uh, teach them as well, our final class in our Bible study series for them. It's called Journey for a Lifetime, our series is. And it's just a, just a remarkable time. I, I taught a group this morning that in our discussion time, I asked them, you know, if, if, if Jesus came in the door this morning, uh, you know, Jesus shows up himself and comes in the room and says, hey, guys, I've got a little time on my hands uh, between appointments, and I've got about an hour or so to spend with you. Uh, what's on your minds? Uh, ask me any question you would like. And so uh, I asked the trainees that, what, what would you ask? And it was really fascinating to know uh, what they would ask. It wasn't like, you know, who's going to win the Belmont races next you know, year or things that we, who's going to win the World Series or this or that. It was really deep questions about life and about God's purpose for life and, and why are we here and why did you do it this way? And I was really, really, I was really surprise uh, not too much because i've heard from these men and women for many years now and uh, i know they're serious minded they're looking for answers they want to know what is this life all about and what does the bible say is god's is the the what we see in the scriptures uh is it valid is it is it reliable does it really answer any of these deep questions about our lives and i i really enjoyed it maybe you have some questions like that uh, about life. Now, these are young men. They're anywhere from 18 to 25 years of age in general. And uh, they're, they're just starting out. Now, some of us oldsters are a little older and they're uh, longer in the tooth. And we've been walking with the Lord a lot of years. And we've learned and grown. And we've gotten some insights that are helpful to these guys. And uh, so, you know, maybe you don't have those exact questions. Maybe you've kind of worked through those for yourself. But maybe not. I'd love to get any of your questions about that as well. What are these 66 books of the Bible? There are 39 in what we call the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the 27 in the New Testament. Uh, they cover about, basically a period of about 1,500 years approximately. Uh, we're coming to the end of the 1,300 to 1,400 years of the, of the Old Testament as we get into these what are called the Minor Prophets. Uh, and then, of course, the period covered in the New Testament – essentially is about a hundred years uh, from the time of the Gospels and we begin uh, um, the calendar the Western calendar now is based on the life of Jesus um, BC before Christ AD Anno Domini in the year of our Lord and then uh, his life his uh, death his resurrection ascension and then the New Testament was probably finalized and put together the final books uh, of the New Testament somewhere uh, around 90 A.D. is the been the guess. Uh, it could have been actually quite earlier, and many people think that it was actually compiled and finished. The New Testament uh, was put together and finished probably earlier than that, maybe even the 79, 75 to 80 A.D. But anyway, generally speaking, it's thought of somewhere around the 90 with the writing, of even the book of the Revelation by the Apostle John, coming in there toward the end of that era, that first century. So uh, what is it about? You know, what, what, what is, the, is there a theme, or is it just sort of a bunch of random books and so on? Well, that is one of the remarkable things about the Bible, is that, in fact, indeed, there is a theme. Uh, the, the, um, what the Bible tells us in general, and I'll just kind of 
lay this out there as we get ready to talk, go into these minor prophets here. What the Bible tells us in general is that uh, essentially the purpose, the reason God created the heavens and the earth and God created the human race, uh, we're told in, in scriptures, uh, as we put together the, the joint messages of scriptures, uh, it, we get to see the idea that there, there is a, a God. It is not the kind of God that you would invent if you could invent God, nor is it the kind of God that you could invent if you would invent a God. It, it, it's, it's, uh, the God of the Bible is absolutely uh, unique, remarkable, and would not be the kind of, you know the kind of gods we invent. You look at the Roman mythologies, the Greek mythologies, you look at uh, Norse myth- mythologies, you look at all, all the different stories uh, we have from from Asian countries, from Native American uh, cultures and societies here, um, they we make up, we try to invent, we try to think what kind of being was it that created this world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, these trees, the animal kingdom, and uh, this all that we observe about nature. Uh, there are three aspects of what it's called general revelation. The Bible tells us about these. You can think of them in three C words. The creation, the things that we see around us in the in the world around us, both the macrocosm and the microcosm. They're both in the big world of stars and galaxies and sun and moon and seasons and trees and oceans and mountains, uh, all of that in the world around us, but also down to the... Uh, to the molecule, down to the atoms, down to the the micro world, uh, germs and bacteria and things that we that maybe uh, weren't so much prominent in the times of the scriptures. But when you look in both areas of the creation, that's one of the seas of general revelation. And then we have uh, consciousness, this special awareness that we have as human beings. We're not like the animal kingdom. We are not limited in our responses to we don't we're not just creatures living in our environment responding to our environment as part of our environment. Any of you ever lived on a farm like I did growing up on a ranch, uh, you know the difference between animals is that they respond in their in their environment, they're responding to uh, instinctively as part of their environment. They're part of their surroundings, and they're responding to it. Whereas we as human beings, we have this special gift of self-awareness to where we we experience something and we can kind of step out away, objectify ourselves away out of our environment, and we think, hmm, you know, you come to a fork in the road, and you go, well, if I take this road, this is going to happen. If I take that road, this is going to happen. And we, we contemplate it, and we consider it, and we form judgments, and we discuss it, and then we make our decision a decision uh, within that context of, of what our senses, the information our senses bring us. So uh, we got the, uh, the, we've got the, uh, the created world around us, and then we have our special consciousness. The Bible says that God has planted eternity in our hearts. We have that special awareness uh, that leads to all kinds of things, awareness of beauty, seeking for purpose and meaning in our lives and so on. And then as well, we have the final C is con- conscience, that is the awareness of good and evil, the difference. And every culture has a sense of ought, 
every culture we've ever discovered, every society, whether it's deep in the jungles of uh, the rainforest or in the largest and the oldest culture societies, Egypt and China, there is a sense of ought that we ought to live this way, we ought to do these things, and we ought to shun or avoid these behaviors. Uh, every society has them. We warn our children against the uh, negative, and we train them and teach them and reward them for for goodness. And so where did that come from, That this amazing thing? And is it found just kind of willy-nilly? Is it accidental or something? Or how did it develop out of our genetic uh, in, uh, evolution and, and um movement and growth or is it planted does it come from the heart of the creator himself uh those are the questions now the most of the evidence these are these are general revelation and then we come to what is called special revelation that god himself the creator has stepped into time and space that he has stepped in stepped into our history into our world he has spoken he has acted he has involved himself in the lives and the affairs of men and women and he has revealed to us something of himself and his purpose for our lives and we'll get into that we're coming up on our first break for the evening but i'm giving you kind of the big 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 picture as we look at the scriptures and then uh, we'll narrow it down and come down to these particular books that we've read through this last week as well but the idea is that god this is special revelation that god has given us of himself of his actions of his words of his teaching and his dealings with uh, men and women with married couples with families with people with the human race through the generations and through the ages. And the Bible covers all of that, that period, and it reveals to us things about God, things about ourselves, who we are, why we are like we are, and what is God's purpose in creating us ultimately. We'll come back to that when we get into our uh, second segment this evening. Um, I think it's time for us already to be on break, but I'm not. it's not coming up. Can you look at it? It was just... It'll happen when it happens, right? Okay, we've got a few seconds left. So, uh, again, we are at 210-340-9585. We're taking a big, long-distance look at the biblical narrative and the biblical revelation tonight. Uh, And then we'll home in on these final books in the Old Testament, the final, what are called the minor, minor prophets. Not because they're minor or not as important, but their works are smaller, shorter, uh, they now some of these, uh, for example, Hosea uh, ministered over a good long period of time. Uh, I was looking. I think Joel was over a period of about forty four decades. So it's not minor in that sense, but they're shorter works, shorter messages uh, that we received records of their their sermons and so on. Their messages. We'll get to them when we come back. Now this is the Bible Live. The phone number is two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. Don't go far away, because we'll be right back. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
All right. These are the words I would say. This is the Bible Live. <laughs> no, that's not the rest of the song. Anyway, we are back. 210-340-9585. That's our phone number. <coughs> and uh, you are welcome to join us. I was just talking a little bit about the big picture of the scriptures. And uh, as I was talking with John here in the studio, he reminds me that sometimes during our talking about our, our work and our, our ministry there at Lackland Air Force Base with the enlisted, uh, the trainees for basic military training out at Lackland that we get to work with them. And I sometimes talk about the men, the men. Well, it's men and women. Yeah, i got to throw that in there. It's important. Uh, those gals are a really important part of all that goes on out there and part of our United States Air Force. And uh, it was great. I was telling you this morning that I have a number of classes, uh, two or 300 young men that and women, <laughs> there we go, I did it again, uh, that we talked about the ultimate purposes of God in the biblical revelation. What does God tell, what does the Bible tell us about uh, who God is, why he created the human race, and what is actually going on in this world? What is happening? And and that is the the picture that we get from this special revelation. We have general revelation, which is about creation, it's about consciousness, and it's about conscience, good and evil. Those three areas are classically the the, the ways that, uh, let's say, for example, I'm Native American, I'm Mescalero Apache from the, uh, off of the reservation in southern New Mexico, and our, our ancestors were here on this continent, what, 500, 1,000 years ago and so on. What about those people? What what did they know about God? What what could they have known? Could, could they uh, be in heaven? Could they be with God? Could they be a part of God's eternal family, though they didn't know anything about the Bible, about Jesus, and so on? Well, yes, they received revelation of God of, about himself, uh, the way most of the world, in fact, throughout history, most of the world uh, has received uh, information about God from looking around them. Uh, the world around the oceans, the trees, the wind, the breeze, the rain, the snow, the clouds, the seasons. Uh, we look at this is our pers- first introduction often to God. This is how we bump into God in our uh, daily lives, even in, t- in this 21st century. And then, uh, but there is more that God has also stepped into time and space. He has given us a special revelation as He has uh, been connected with men and women of faith. Men and women who loved him, who desired God and worshiped God and gave God a place in their lives, then God worked and spoke into them and and taught them and led them and gave them insight and further information about himself, about us as human beings, and what is God's purpose, what he's doing. So God uh, began, let's say you look at the book of Genesis, you see Adam and Eve, you see Cain and Abel, then you see Seth, and you see Enoch, and you see this the uh, generations of humanity spreading and growing, and God uh, visiting and in, involving himself. And, uh, and then uh, you come to the early ch- chapter 12, you have the great flood. By that time, humanity, the two great branches of humanity... Uh, humanity split up into two groups, those who loved God, desired God, wanted the true and living God and the, the Creator, and those that did not uh, and followed their own uh, rejection of God and God's rules and God's guidance and commands and doing right and so on. And they invented their own gods and their own explanations that would serve, that served their own purposes that allowed them to do empower themselves over other people and allowed them to do and live the lives that they wanted to live. And we see that. 
is told the story is told in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, and then you get to chapter 11, you come to God judges humanity, brings it down to one family, uh, Noah and his uh, seven members of his family, his wife, their three sons and three daughters, uh, their families. And so there you see the flood, the judgment of God, and it begins again with Noah. And so God deals with them, and they begin to spread and multiply again. They are told to spread out and multiply, diversify, uh, as God told uh, Adam and Eve as well. Spread out, multiply around the earth, uh, diversify, because God's plan was that within humanity, now that the sinful nature, the sin nature, the rebellious nature had been planted in the human race, uh, that he wanted to to mitigate the effects of the sin nature so that it wouldn't lead them again to a general destruction. And so he mandated diversification so that there would be multiple people groups, languages, cultures, and societies, different foods, and so that we would... In a in a sense, there would be a uh, there would be a limitation on the the ev- the wickedness of man, uh, in the sense that when there when a Stalin rises up or a uh, Hitler, then a Stalin would rise up to oppose him. You know, the evil is often its own worst enemy. There are a thousand ways to be evil, and uh, only really truly one ultimately to be right, and that is through loving and following and obeying our God, so that uh, so that evil would have competition within itself, and it would serve as a mitigating or limiting uh, a break, uh, in a sense, uh, a breaking effect on the sin nature that had been released into humanity. So we see that taking place in the early chapters of Genesis. You get to chapter 12 now, and God begins to deal with Abraham. And he deals with this man of faith, and he begins to work with God. people that God they allow God in their life. They worship the true and living God, the Creator. And Abraham and his family, Sarah and his children, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God begins to deal with them, not as a racial group, not as a family group so much, but as a group that that loved him and responded to him and worshipped the true and living God. And he began to work with them and in them and through them to make himself known to other cultures and societies, Egypt, Syria, uh, Nineveh, the, the Babylonians, the per- Medo-Persian, all the, you, just where that strategic place where Israel was located as a nation, that that land that God led Abraham to, and planted the people uh, of Israel there. That this it was a people group. Yes, it was the the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and their their pledge to follow the true and living God, and God covenanted with them to guide them and use them. But they were a picture of the larger people of God around the planet. It wasn't just their group. Often, as as Jacob has helped me point out many times, it was never really about an ethnic group or about a racial group. It was about the people of God. Uh, but we trace them through this book, uh, this uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then there was Joseph and the 400 years in the Egypt and the coming out of Egypt under Moses, coming back uh, into the promised land and, the, and conquest under Joshua, and, and then the time of the 12 tribes, and then we begin with um, uh, the time of the judges, the 300, 350 years under the judges, and then the first king, Saul, David, Solomon, and then the splitting of the kingdom. You can just kind of walk through the scriptures and trace the dealing of God with and in and through and around this the people of God there. And again, though, when I say the people of God, it's not just about what we call Israel. 
There was a people group, there was a nation, a national group called Israel, became by that name. Uh, it was Jacob, actually, who had his name changed from to Israel, the children of Israel. But they are a picture of and, and a, a description of spiritual, true Israel as the people of God around planet Earth, who love God, desire God, seek God. And that's the point, that God is calling out of the human population a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. Eighty-three times we find that that phrase in Scripture from beginning to end. I will be their God. They will be my people. That is the, the redemptive plan. God is calling out of every nation, every tribe, every language group, every generation, every age, every decade, centuries. God is calling out a people, a forever family, those who will be with him He is bringing us into that oneness relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I remember I was talking about the God of the Bible is a God that you wouldn't create, invent if you could, or you could invent if you would, if you tried. Uh, It's so remarkable, uh, this idea that three distinct persons of the Godhead, we've come to know those names ultimately brought to us by Jesus himself. He kind of brought along the formula that we use today, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, but uh, they appeared in the Hebrew in the Old Testament scriptures as well, and there are other names that God gives us for himself in the Old Testament, uh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, and, and other Elohim, and so on, but these, all of these names, they don't define God, they in some way communicate something to us about this uh, transcendent being. Uh, this spiritual being. They tell us something about his character, his purposes, and so on. Uh, but we ultimately come down to Father, Son, and Spirit, three distinct persons. They have all the characteristics of personhood. The Holy Spirit is not an it. That was actually the class I was teaching this morning about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not an impersonal force like, you know, the force be with you, or he's not a, um, a, you know, a green vapor that fills the room or a feeling that goes up and down your spine. He's not your conscience. The Holy Spirit is a person, uh, the third person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And we are living in the era, the time of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the time of Jesus, he took the lead in the redemptive plan of God in being the Messiah, the the one who came and took on flesh and lived a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father as a man. And then when he had completed his work, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The redemptive plan of God, which had been foreshadowed and, and uh, predicted through uh, God's dealings in the Old Testament with the, with Israel, for example, uh, the sacrificial system and the temple and the tabernacle and the priesthood and so many ways God predicted and foreshadowed his redemptive plan in and through uh, the uh, religious system and so on that was enacted with the people of Israel. But it was all based on the idea of of um, substitutionary atonement, the lambs, the goats, the bulls that were sacrificed. Not that we were ever redeemed and never forgiven of our sin because of the death of lambs. That wasn't the point. There was going to be a lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Uh, And we're told in the book of Genesis even that it's going to be a man. It's going to be a human being. It's not going to be an angel. It's not going to be an extraterrestrial. It's not going to be from the animal kingdom. It's going to be a human being, a male of the species. And the Old Testament is full of about over 300 predictions 
60 major predictions and over 300 uh, predictions about this Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior that God was going to send into the world to enact and carry out the redemptive plan based on uh, substitutionary atonement. And so uh, that was, we believe that was to that was Jesus of Nazareth. He came, he made that claim that he was that Redeemer, that Savior. He pointed to the predictions, he pointed to the prophecies, and how his life fulfilled them, everyone. And he took upon, uh, he lived out that perfect life of faith and trust and obedience. And then he who knew no sin took upon himself our sins, the penalty of our sin, so that we could be reconciled to our God and come into that saving salvation relationship with the creator and that's the story uh it's not uh it's it's uh it transcends religion it's not about religion there is a religious system uh a process that has grown up around uh the worship of of god as he's clearly revealed himself in the old testament and the new testament through the redeemer through the messiah but <clears throat> it transcends it's not a religious system it's a relationship with the true and living God. That, that is the message of the Scriptures. Now, religion and religious systems and so on, they are a reality. They develop, and, and they are not perfect. I mean, the Christianity as a religious system is certainly not perfect uh, in the way it's manifest in our world today. Uh, there's a lot of diversity and difference in it. That's not bad necessarily, but there's a lot of falsehood. There's a lot of wrong beliefs. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, things that we do wrong. It's made up of human beings who still have uh, a sin nature and, a, and a, a tendency to selfishness and sin. And so, uh, you know, they say, find the perfect church, and, and then you join it, and it's not perfect anymore, right? <laughs> so most of us recognize it. But the, the people of God, the true church, the capital C, those who trust in God, God is has made us perfect in Christ through his redemptive plan, through his sacrifice, and he is making us perfect by the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. He is teaching us and guiding us, molding and shaping us. Every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle of the age that we live in. Ever since Jesus ascended, we are living in the era of the Holy Spirit. And that's, uh, of course, one of the great reasons why the gospel, the good news about God, has now exploded around the world. Even in the time of Jesus, it went across the Roman Empire like a like a prairie fire, just exploding because people were so hungry and spiritually empty and dry. And here comes this this good news, this gospel about a God who loves us and cares for us and has made a way for us to be reconciled to him and to know him and experience God in our lives here on this planet Earth and in the world to come. So uh, <laughs> that's what we look at. That's, that's the... Essentially, the scarlet thread, the red thread through the scriptures. Now, if you read the Bible, it's full of history, it's full of poetry, it's full of instructions and guidance and commands, and it's full of sermons and uh, these prophets that we're looking now, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and so on. These are men and women who prophesied and who preached about God and God's truth in the middle of very difficult situations, sometimes in times of great rebellion. Remember Prophet Jeremiah, how the people rejected him, and he was often persecuted and thrown down into a well. And so these prophets of God, that's an important part of the scriptural presentation. But you can see there's different different kinds of literature in the, these 66 books of the Bible. 
uh, as I said, there are stories, there's history, Daniel in the lion dens, uh, Jacob's ladder, um, the flood of Noah, uh, 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 David and Goliath, all these one, these incredible stories, but also just stories of normal people and their journeys and their struggles of faith and so on. And through it all, though, you see God moving, acting in and with his people to carry out his redemptive plan for humanity. So that's what the Bible essentially is all about from beginning to end. There is a scarlet thread that winds its way through every book of the Bible uh, with that central theme of God's love, the problem of man, the problem of sin that, that has separated and isolated us from each other and from God, and then God's redemptive plan, what he has done to atone for those sins, to make them right legally and and, and uh, in a positional way so that we could be made right with God uh, through the work of the Redeemer. And then through that work, he effected a new creation. We have the, the initial creation through Adam and Eve. It's our biological earthly uh, bodies and our earthly uh, body soul. We are we have a body, we have a soul, but we are living spirits. We are spiritual beings. Uh, and when we are separated from God, this what the Bible calls spiritual death, uh, that we are dead in trespasses and sins. But when we come to faith in God and love him and respond to God as he reveals himself to us, we can experience a confident, secure relationship with God, and spiritually we come alive, we are quickened, and we begin to experience God. God can speak into our heart, and we listen, and we learn, and we we are growing uh, in our, in that relationship with God, and it and it begins to take over our behavior and our thought patterns and our emotional patterns so that we begin as into the guidance and influence of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Our lives begin to to reflect his glory, his goodness. Not perfectly yet, but we begin the process here on planet Earth. We are in basic training right here on planet Earth. These 60, 70, 80 years that we enjoy as God's people, if we are, if you are a believer, these are years that God is teaching us and molding and shaping us and using us as well to help reach others. But we are we are in the process of growing, and he is escorting us. His Holy Spirit is within us. Escorting us to glory, and the Holy Spirit is spoken of in our passages tonight. Um, several of the of the prophets talk about it in the in times. I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Uh, I will, and we are living in that era. That, in fact, is the writers of the Book of Acts in the New Testament. We consider to be Doctor uh, Luke. He quotes that passage. Uh, I think it's in. If, if I'm trying to look and think about that that prophecy uh, where he says, I will, I, I am going to pour out my spirit on all humanity, it seems to me that it is in, um, what book is that in? Is, uh, I'm, I'm looking through my notes here from the, the day as well. Uh, on all flesh. Oh, yeah, in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel. Joel chapter two twenty eight, where God promises to pour out His Holy Spirit on all people, on all, and, and that's the era that we are living in right now. That the God's Spirit has now, and He, in the Book of Acts, rightly points that out. That this is a fulfillment of that prophecy that God gave to Joel way back in in the time in the writing of His book, before even. Um, and I'll get into the history of each of these books that we read. 
and, and uh, look at Joel chapter 2. He says, um, Then after doing all those things, and I, I won't go before that verse, you, but you can see the other predictions and prophecies. He said, But after I've done these things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn red, and so on, so on, so on uh, in the Scripture. But that, that prediction principally that there's going to be a time when God then, in his redemptive plan, when his Spirit will be poured out, on the human race. And see, this is a very different this is a very different time we live in. Like I said, before before Jesus, the Messiah, finished his work of redemption uh, uh, here on planet Earth, carried out the work of, of redemption, uh, uh, the substitutionary atonement uh, in his death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven, he said, you know, he told his disciples, I got to go away, you guys. I got to leave. Why? Because when I finish my work, see, Jesus, it was very important in that his work as a Savior, but also he was the prototype of the people of God. The Messiah was the second Adam, the last Adam, as Paul refers to him. He's the firstborn of the twiceborn. In other words, Jesus came, and from the time he was a fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he died and descended to heaven, he was a, a perfect man of faith, but he was indwelt and he was guided and directed and empowered by God's Spirit. He didn't do the things he did, Jesus, uh, uh, while he lived on planet Earth. He did not do the miracles he did. He did not raise people from the dead. He did not do his great teaching and all that. He didn't do any of those things in his own power, in his own strength, his own prerogative and initiative as God. He Instead, he humbled himself, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, and he walked under the mantle of of faith under the umbrella of faith he he couldn't act on his own prerogative and initiative as god because if he had nothing would have happened to him he is god he could have had every right to do so but if he had acted on his own prerogative of god and stepped out of the role of total faith and trust and submission obedience to the father he would have which he had a right to do he's co-equal to the father as the son uh he could have Done anything? He told his disciples, "Don't you know I could call ten thousand angels to deliver me from from death and the crucifixion?" But he stayed under the yoke of submission, obedience to the Father for our sakes, so that he could become the man, perfect man of faith and trust. And he therefore became the last Adam. He became the firstborn. He's the prototype of the people of God in this era in which we are living now. So when he completed his work then the Holy Spirit could be poured out on all humanity. Every follower of Jesus, whether you're in the jungles of the Amazon or over in Mongolia or in Kazakhstan, over in the Ukraine and Soviet Union, Moscow, downtown Moscow, uh, around the planet Earth, wherever you are, uh, Eskimos up in the, in the Alaska and the northern um, polar regions, wherever you are, those who trust in God and know him, uh, we become a receptacle. We become a temple of the Spirit of God who comes to journey with us. He walks with us. He is our paraclete, the word that is used in Greek for the, the comforter, the our advocate. 
He is the one who comes to journey alongside us, faithfully escorting you and me as the people of God to glory and empowering our witness and our influence, speaking through us to the world around us and helping other men and women people come into that glorious, confident, secure relationship with God as well. So that's that's the secret as why God's redemptive plan has exploded around planet Earth in these 2,000 years, the world we live in because of, of the working of the Holy Spirit in his people. And now we are living in times that David dreamed of. Remember the uh, David's the Psalms? David said, Oh, Lord, let, let your name be worshipped in all the earth, around the world, in every language, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We are living in the era when that prayer of David has been fulfilled. And uh, we are seeing that happen around planet earth today. In our country... Faith seems to be dying and growing cold. Maybe not, uh, not. Maybe it's retrievable, but around the world, the gospel is spreading and people are embracing the true and living God like never, never before. Well, there's our music. Uh, I finished up our second phase here of talking through the scriptures. And now we'll come back and look at these specific books that we read this past week. If you'd like to join me or comment on anything that's been said, 210 340-9585. This is the Bible Live, and we'll be right back. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. Talking about the book of life. When my life gets too confusing, well, I stop and take a second look. <laughs> I take another look in the book of life. Bum, 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 bum. At times my heart grows downright faithless. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. That's when the Word of God can cleanse my sinner's heart. It frees me from them old desires that pop up now and then. I keep my thumb between the pages and oh boy oh boy john you are a trickster you are for sure all right let me see i'm gonna <laughs> that that's soapy that's the soapster back in his time when we were playing a guitar and singing sharing that's one of my favorite old songs that we used to do the book of life and i've been in love with this book a lot of years i tell you folks i came to faith in Christ when I was eight years old, living in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, and uh, met the Lord there and memorized Scripture, and God's Word began to do a work on my life and changing the way I viewed myself. I was no longer some little orphan kid with no mom, no dad, no family, no future, no background, no possibilities. Uh, He began to show me I was a child of the King, the God of the universe. And uh, began to show that, uh, give me that sense of destiny that every child of God should have. If you're a man or woman of faith, a young man of faith, a child or a young person of faith, you are a man, a woman of destiny. We are uh, the focus of God's love and attention, the king of the universe, and God is working in us, with us, through us, and around us to carry out his perfect plan in our own individual lives and use us for his redemptive plan for all of humanity. What you know? There's no greater – what greater purpose could you be tied into – Besides the the eternal plan of God for, for, for calling out a people for Himself, what a what a wonderful thing! Well, that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, I was taking you on your little journey through the 
as I do it from time to time, a little journey through the Scriptures from beginning to end, trying to give a sense of what is this book, these 66 books over a period of 1,500 years or so, what is it about? It's about that redemptive plan of God being played out in each of our lives and in the whole world around us. And it's so satisfying and so exciting to know it. It explains why things happen the way they happen in our world. Some people say, well, why didn't God just stamp out all evil and we? Why does he let bad things happen? Well, this is the only environment that would be just and fair. Uh, we live in a closed system, a world uh, closed, but where good and evil coexist. And so if that's going to happen, uh, we're each going to be touched by evil. Good things are going to happen to bad people. Bad things are going to happen to good people. Uh, and that's the world, the reality that we're living in. And it's a just and fair world because each of us, no matter how evil our parents may, may have been, we have the option ourselves to be right with God. Or no matter how wonderful and, and godly and uh, our parents may have been, we too can make the choice to reject God and to go a different direction. That's that's the environment that we live in. Uh, we don't have absolute truth in the sense that the, we know with absolute certainty, experiential tr- truth about eternity, about life after death and God, but we we have a lot of evidence that God is there, that the, this world has purpose and meaning, and that it's and that there is we are spiritual beings that will live beyond the grave and, and into eternity and uh, we have the so much evidence about those uh, and like i said but we all live and walk by faith saint and sinner alike uh we every human being by the very nature of our existence we walk and live by faith and we decide in this life what we're going to believe what we are how we are going to understand and approach our life that we live here and it's the will is the most crucial element yeah the intellect the emotions are involved um, but it ultimately it is our will that we decide who we're going to follow what we're going to believe and what place we're going to give to the creator in each of our lives so uh that's that's the story of the scriptures now let's look at some of these uh, passages from the old testament the book of hosea Remarkable book. The name Hosea means salvation. <clears throat> the book of Hosea does. It means salvation. And it's, uh, we don't know exactly. It's somewhere written over about four decades that <clears throat> Hosea lived and ministered. <clears throat> he was essentially writing to and ministering to the ten northern tribes. Remember I mentioned through the history that the, after Solomon's death, uh, the ten northern tribes broke away from Benjamin and, and Judah down in the south, and they became what we came to know as Israel, and Judah and Benjamin in the south became Judah, uh, that we call, was called Judah. And so Hosea principally is writing to these ten northern tribes about their spiritual uh, adultery. Their spirit, they abandoned the true and living God who loved them and was faithful to them, and they, they took up kind of spiritual adultery. They, they, they followed after other gods, and they committed adultery with other gods, and so on. That was his central message. And Hosea himself, his name means salvation, is to, he reveals to us something about the redemptive, the great redemptive love and commitment of God. Because what he's asked to do, uh, uh, very unusually, Hosea speaks to uh, 
uh, God speaks to Hosea, and he says, I want you to go and marry a woman of ill repute. I want you to wear, marry a woman of the night uh, so that some of her children would be conceived in that state. And this will illustrate how Israel has acted, uh, I've been unfaithful to me by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And he get, God leads him to give the, that child the name of Jezreel. And <clears throat> for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. Remember, Jehu was the one who wiped out uh, Jezebel and Ahab after their time. Uh, and in some way, he saved. Uh, it did a good thing, but he went way overboard in his response to God. So uh, Hosea. He's carrying that out in the life and ministry of Hosea. But Hosea marries uh, Gomer, this woman of night, woman of the night. This She is unfaithful to him, and she returns to her life of prostitution. And But then what does God do? He tells Hosea to go and win her back. Uh, go pay for her and win her back. Uh, and, and so even in her sin and her rebellion, God reveals in our sin, in our rebellion even, God uh, has come to purchase and redeem us to buy us back. And so Hosea goes and he buys his wife out of bondage, out of slavery that she had, her life had got her into. And she he bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution, uh, and so on and so on. So that's chapter 3. So you can see the picture there that God carries out in the life and through the life and experiences of Hosea. He's, he's revealing something of his love, his commitment of the sin and, and, the, and the unfaithfulness of people. We turn away from God, but that he'll, he still loves us and he still has purchased and bought our forgiveness and our restoration. Uh, that's the story of redemption. That's what the Messiah came to do, to pay the price of our sin. And so uh, uh, that's the book of Hosea. And he talks to the mainly to the tribes of the north, uh, Israel, for their because of their love for wickedness. They abandoned the true and living God almost from the time that they became came to exist uh, under Rehoboam. They abandoned God and um, took up. They abandoned the the. the commands of God, to the way they should worship God, the priesthood, and they established a different temple so they wouldn't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem and to the tabernacle. And, and so they um, they abandoned God, and yet the message of Hosea is that God loves you and God still seeks us and has purchased our redemption. There's another wonderful passage in Hosea in chapter 8, uh, that passage, you've heard this statement, you may have heard about it, that they have planted the wind and they will harvest the whirlwind that that humanity at times God gives us over to experience the consequences of our godlessness, our rebellion, and our sin. And those are the times of judgment that God pours out upon um, the world, upon nations, about even individuals at times. We experience the judgment and the discipline of God on our lives. Uh, in chapter 8 there he says, you have, you have planted the wind and now you will harvest the whirlwind. And he talks about how God is going to judge the people of Israel in the north. And in fact, in 722 B.C., the, Samar- the, the, I'm sorry, the Syrians came down from Nineveh. 
and they um, the Assyrians came down and they they destroyed Samaria. Uh, they took the people, the ten northern tribes, and they marched them out of the land. They put them in chains um, and put through a ring through their noses and and so and, and marched them away. And they were never restored to the land. Um, and as Jacob was here, he would remind us that part of the function of the Messiah would be that he would call back. He would call back the people of God. Um, and he reminds us of that from time. And that's part of the work that God is doing through Jesus, through the Messiah, even in the times in which we are living. Uh, there is a calling back of people of Israel. In 1949, the nation of Israel was reestablished and so on. So we see that. In the book of Hosea, a remarkable book. I can't give too much. You could preach, teach whole courses on any one of these books, in fact. But well, let's go on from Joel, I mean from Hosea, let's go and look at what we can discover about God and God's plan and about ourselves through the book of Joel. Um, given his references to the southern tribes and the capital city of Jerusalem, Joel seems to have been writing to the inhabitants of Judah, then the southern two tribes, but there there are no time indicators in the book of Joel. Uh, Joel. Uh, and um, there is an affinity within the book of, of Amos and the prominence of nations such as Philistia, Egypt, and Edom, and so on. It may indicate a date uh, in the late 9th century, well before the destruction of uh, of um, Samaria and, and the ten tribes in the north. That took place in 722 B.C. But Joel begins his book talking about a, a locust plague, an, an infestation of locusts that killed the, the harvest and took away their their crops and, and brought great destruction on the nation, on, on Judah in, in the south. The grain was destroyed, the grapes have shriveled, the olive oil is gone. Despair all you farmers, and so on. So Joel here is talking and using the picture of this this invasion of of locusts as an invasion of wickedness and evil and how it destructs, it destroys nations and destroys the lives of people. How many individuals' lives have been ruined and destroyed by addictions and alcoholism and 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 um, uh, illicit sexuality and, and adulteries and uh, how many people and lives have been destroyed by sin and, and its devastating effect on the individuals and on, on societies, on communities. And there is a call in Joel to repentance, to turn back to God. Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing and your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish and not judge. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending blessing instead of this curse. And so we see uh, this call in the book of Joel to the people. And again, like I mentioned a while ago, this wonderful prediction that God is going to restore uh, uh, the nation, restore Israel. And, and of course, the bigger picture restore in his people, the people of God around the world. And there's the promise in, in Joel chapter 2 
the promise of God's Spirit. I will pour out my Spirit on upon all people, your sons and daughters. I, I read this earlier. And so we see that God's picture, he, he talks about the people of Israel, the, the people of these nations and people groups, that they are a picture of his dealings and his workings with his people more broadly, universally, around the world. <coughs> but there's also always that dual message in the prophets, that he's talking to the nation of Israel and that people group. As he, God deals with them, we learn a lot about God and his redemptive plan and his ways uh, as we watch God deal with them. But then as, as well, uh, we see uh, and hear proclamations and things that are more broad and general about God's dealings with the human race and with the people, his people around the world. So we see that in the book of Joel, a small book, only three chapters, but a remarkable story about um about God and how revealing more about Himself and about His. Uh, th- there's this day of the Lord that is spoken of is a principal phrase of the Book of Joel. This time of judgment that there will be responsible. We we will be held responsible for the decisions we make about God and about uh, the lives that we live. There will be a time of accountability. Uh, now then, let's go on to the Book of Amos. As we make our way through, I'm trying to. I know I'm going quickly through these books we read last week. The book of Amos was. He was not. Uh, he, he's kind of akin to the New Testament. He was not a preacher. He was not a uh, uh, Levite. He was not a prophet in the in the sense of coming out of the the houses of the prophets. Amos was a, a layman. He was a totally. He was a farmer, a rancher. Shepherd and tender of trees, we learn in chapter 7. His hometown was in Judah, about 10 miles south of Jerusalem, a little town called Tekoa uh, is where Amos was from. We have a Tekoa, Texas, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> we have a Paris, Texas, a Rome, Texas. We, we, we got it all right here in Texas. Um, God always warns. Before he judges Israel. That's one thing that we can pick up from the book of Amos. Is that before God brings about a judgment on his people or about any nation or people, he, he warns them. Uh, he, he always has and always does. Calls them in America is being warned in these times. Many, many of the great preachers and spiritual leaders of our nation that to whom we give respect and, and for whom we have respect, many of them are, almost all of them are unified in their thought, in their understanding that God is indeed already judging America for turning away from him. for uh, We have rich, rich heritage and legacy of faith and, uh, and um, an understanding about God and his plan and goodness and, and right living. And yet we, are, we have, uh, it just in the last 50 to 75 years, we have dramatically turned away from God, systematically and progressively turning further and further, rejecting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rejecting the God of the Bible, rejecting the God of our forefathers here in this nation. Uh, This nation was founded by believers in God's Word and the redemptive plan of God and respect for faith and trust and obedience to God and goodness. And yet we have turned away even to the point now where we we too are engaged in child uh, murder and, and sacrifice of children on the altar of of convenience, killing children, millions of children killed in the womb now, which God will not 
if there is a God, if the God of the Bible is real and true, there's no way he can ignore uh, the blood of the innocents as they cry out to him. And so we see uh, God has warned our nation over and over again. So we see that in the book of Amos, this constant warning. Uh, but still you wouldn't turn from me, he tells them in, in Amos chapter 4. He sends disaster, one disaster after another to Israel. Hunger and famine and drought and locusts and crop failures and diseases and war and destruction. of. But every time you, they would not return to him, would not turn back to God. Uh, and so Amos prayed. And that's a great encouragement for us as God's people to pray, asking God to forgive their sins and spare the nation. Amos did that in chapter 7 of the book of Amos. And, and he uh, has this wonderful uh, vision that, uh, of, of ripe fruit that God gives him the idea that, he, that Israel was now ripe from ju- for judgment. But there's always that picture of the promise and the potential of restoration if we would turn back and turn from our wickedness and our sin. And that's an, a, a message for each of us and all of us, our city, our community, our, our state, our nation, that we must turn back to God. We need to have that in mind when we go to the ballot box, when we make our decisions, when we serve in our communities, uh, each of us as believers, because God is looking to us, his people, in this culture and society. We set the pace. Will we repent? Will we pray and turn from our wicked ways and, and experience his forgiveness? That's the book of Amos, the great, the farmer, the the farmer of uh, of the Old Testament. He he's he's very plain spoken. This farmer, he he calls these rebellious women of of uh, Judah and the South. He calls them the the he calls them cows. <laughs> Only a farmer, I guess, would do that. But he uh, he's very plain spoken. He calls on the people to turn back to God. Now Obadiah, Obadiah, another great book. And Jacob was here. He would talk to us about the relationship of Obadiah to. Habakkuk, uh, and uh, that uh, he is that son that was raised from the dead. I think it's is Obadiah. I think Obadiah was his uh, the son of Habakkuk. Or maybe I've got it backwards. Ah, maybe I need Jacob. He'll tell us for sure. There's a relationship there, and that Obadiah. Then it's the shortest book in the Old Testament, and uh, it, it's about God's judgment on Edom. Remember, Edom is the descendants of Esau, um, Jacob's brother Esau, and then about God's restoration of Israel. Uh, A little book of Obadiah, this prophet, one chapter long, Edom is destroyed, Israel restored. And the reasons are given for Edom's, for the way they treat God's people. So this would be a message to perhaps those in our culture and society who want to uh, who hate Christians and hate the church and hate uh, those who worship God. Uh, there does seem to be a great uh, number of people who, are, who not only are not believers themselves and don't, uh, don't follow after God and want God, but they are, they are enemies. I, I remember when I was younger, the people that didn't, weren't particularly believers in God and didn't follow God, they did not have the audacity uh, and the impunity to to ridicule God and ridicule God's people and people of faith. Uh, the, there was at least still a modicum of respect for those for God and for those who believe and trusted in Him. And uh, so Obadiah, Obadiah could have a, a warning 
for those even outside the faith that God God will hold people responsible for the way they respond to him and the way they treat God's people uh, in our society and our culture. So there's a warning there from the book of Obadiah that would even extend to those outside of faith, those who are around Israel. Uh, Now then, we come to the book of Jonah. Jonah, as I mentioned earlier, is a remarkable, unusual book in that it's not about the sermons of this prophet, Jonah, so much. Uh, Like I said, he only preached one sermon in the book, and it was eight words long. uh, In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Oh, that's seven words. I've got it right. Seven or eight words. Well, it depends on if you're talking in English or in Hebrew, of course. But a very short sermon, but God, it tells the story of this of this messenger, of this prophet of God, this missionary who is disobedient to the vision that God gives him. And he flees from God instead of delivering the message. Now, we could almost forgive Jonah because he is refusing to take a message of forgiveness and cleansing and, and, and restoration to the nation of Nineveh, uh, the Assyrian nation with the capital in Nineveh, because he knew that they were Israel's enemies, that they were going to destroy they were enemy of his nation, and he didn't want them to be saved. He didn't want them to be restored, and that's what he complains about. Once he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to them, once he finally does obey God, remember he disobeys and he gets swallowed by a great fish and, and this incredible adventure he goes through. But then finally he turns up on the shores of uh, of uh, there in Assyria, and he goes and he preaches to them, probably with his bleached-out skin and so on. He looked like quite a creature. But he preached that message, and what happened? One of the great eight great revivals, eight great revivals spoken of in the in the Old Testament. This was one of them. Nineveh repented for their sin, from the king down to the lowest citizen in the uh, in the in the city in the capital city, and they were forgiven and restored. People repented from their sin, from the greatest to the least, and and Jonah was really ticked off about that. He didn't like that at all. He said, I told you, I knew that's what you were going to do. I knew you were a loving, kind, forgiving God. And if I went and told them this message, that they would repent and that you would forgive them. And uh, so that you get a little sense of the the uh, the, the the message, uh, the story within the story of Jonah. That we uh, there is that wonderful message that we are to love the sinner. I hate the sin, but love the sinner. And we should... Keep a love for people everywhere and be willing to take the message everywhere uh, to people that, that God is forgiving and that he can bring restoration. Well, there we are. That's the end of our hour and a half and 90 minutes of talking through the scriptures with you. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. 
You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.